I often say to people, I'm here to break generational curses, um, mm. generational curses that mm. exist in this institution and outside in the community where I was born. And the idea that we um, are all with this energy and this enthusiasm and the things that I have heard shared today, I have full faith um, that we are on our way to doing that and making real positive impacts in student affairs. Let's go. Um, I often write in my papers that I am student affairs, like a, like a severe internalization. I say we are student affairs and it just excites me. So All right. Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am your host, Heather Shea. Today on the podcast, we're finishing our series of episodes for Careers in Student Affairs Month. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by a large panel of current master's students in student affairs, higher education, or related graduate programs from across the country. They are here to share a bit about their decision-making processes, with those of you watching today who may be considering grad school as you consider applying to graduate program in higher education, this is the episode to watch. Before I bring in our guest today, let me tell you a little bit about our channel. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about this episode's sponsor. As I mentioned, I am the host for today's episode, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples, otherwise known as East Lansing, Michigan, home of Michigan State University, where I work. All right, so in previous episodes of this series for Careers in Student Affairs Month, I have briefly shared my story I went directly from undergrad to grad school at the same institution where I had completed undergrad, Colorado State University. And while I had an incredible experience in the CSU SAHI program, um, I often have reflected upon that experience and wondered if maybe I should have thought about it differently. I could have, maybe I should have been more intentional in the process, considered other programs. Um, I am so excited to talk with this panel of current grad students today. Um, let me bring all of them in on our gallery view. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, this panel was curated from an open call I did to the faculty listserv. So thank you to all of the faculty members who referred this amazing panel to me today. Um, and for those of you who weren't able to join us, I have a list now a mile long of folks who are ready to be on a podcast episode for Student Affairs Now. Um, so thank you all. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have, first just go around and have everybody introduce themselves, um, share your name, pronouns, your institution, your current year in your program, and maybe what your role is on your campus, if you're working in an assistantship or if you're in a full-time position on that campus or in another campus. Um, Etc. just so folks can kind of get to know you. 
Um, and so we're going to start with um, my colleague at Michigan State, Justin. Do you want to you want to kick us off? Hello. Yes. Hello. Um, my name is Justin Weller. I use the he series of pronouns. And like Dr. Shea mentioned, I am a first year student in the Student Affairs Administration Program at Michigan State University. In this program, I also serve as an, a graduate assistantship a graduate assistant rather, as an assistant community director within residential education housing services, where I help support and supervise a staff of resident assistants on campus to um, empower them to be the best RAs they can be. So that's a little bit about me and what I do at Michigan State University. Awesome, thanks, Justin. Mara, welcome. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, my name is Mara Mangum. I use the She Series pronouns. I'm currently a second year student in the Student Affairs and Higher Education Program, also known as SAHI at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. I actually just made the transition in June from a graduate assistantship in extended orientation to now being a student program coordinator in the LBJ School of Public Affairs um, at UT Austin. Um, so it's been definitely a transition and enjoying all the things that come with it. And currently I'm wrapping up some research and transfer student initiatives as well with the first year journal of um, experiences and transition. So, well, welcome. I'm so glad you're joining us. And also from Texas State, we have Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Buenos dias, buenas tardes. Uh, my name is Andrew Martinez. My pronouns are he, him, él. I am currently a first-year SAHI student at Texas State University alongside Mora, so go Bobcats. <laughs> I have a graduate assistantship here at Texas State University with the Department of Housing and Residential Life. I am a graduate residence director for 18 amazing RAs in four different buildings, so go Bobcats and go RAs at Texas State. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Um, Huda, welcome. Thank you, Heather. I am joining you guys from Olympia, Washington. Um, some of our tribal groups are the Nisqually, the Duwamish, the Squamish, and the Puyallup tribes. Um, I am in my second year of my graduate program at St. Martin's University. It is a small private college on the southern part of Washington. Um, and I'm in my Sorry, I'm in my second year of the program, as I just said, and I am doing student affairs with a focus in higher education. It's interesting because our program is called HESA, and you guys seem to flip that acronym, so <laughs> sounds cool to hear. Um, yeah, but what I'm doing in my graduate work is I'm senator of graduate students for our student senate, and then I'm also graduate assistant to the director of the career center and the associate dean of students. Awesome. Yes, CSP. HESA, SAHI, SAA, there, there's so many acronyms for sure. And yeah, every, every school calls it something different. Well, welcome. Um, Jose, let's go to you next. Hello, my name is Jose Ambil Jr. Um, I use both he and they pronouns and I'm currently a first year HESA student. So the same as Huda. Um, <laughs> at Western Michigan University. Um, and then I have a graduate assistantship there with our student center. We just opened a brand new $100 million building. Um, so my summer was spent closing an old building and opening a new one. Um, and I do a lot of work with um, training our student employees, as well as um, organizing diversity and inclusion training for the whole building. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for being here, Jose. I appreciate, appreciate you. Um, we are going to go to Georgia next. Brianna, welcome. Hello. Hello, everyone. My name is Brianna Cross. I used the She, Her, Her series. I am a second year at the University of Georgia. Our program is known as CASA, or College Student Affairs Administration. Um, I am a graduate assistant for Counseling and Counseling and Human Development Services Department, which is where my major is housed under. Um, I get to work in particular with the Student Affairs PhD and EDD students. Fun, fun one. Um, now we're going to Vermont. Grace, hello. Hi all, Grace Peterson, she, her pronouns. I'm a current part-time student in my third and final year in the HESA program at the University of Vermont where I also work full-time as the campus programs coordinator for the Department of Student Life, planning university-wide programming efforts and also working with our UVM programming board students. Awesome, fantastic. Terry, welcome, also from Western Michigan. Absolutely, go Broncos. Let me throw one of those up in there uh, for the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Terry Burleson, Jr. Uh, I use the he, him, his pronouns. Um, I am currently a second year student at the Western Michigan University uh, HESA program, Higher Education and Student Affairs Leadership. Um, I do not hold a graduate assistantship as I work full time in my hometown of Battle Creek, Michigan. I am the manager of recruitment and student outreach at the Kellogg Community College Admissions Department, um, where I manage our selective admissions programs, so nursing and other uh, allied health programs. I also admit and advise our international students, of which we have a growing population in that regard. And I also supervise, train, and staff our student workers in the Hub Enrollment Center. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you, Terry. Um, I got to meet Terry in person actually on Monday at ACPA Michigan. So that was fantastic. It sure was. Um, I love it. Um, Hureb, welcome. Thank you. Oh, well, my name is Rob Romeo. Um, I'm originally from Pakistan and my pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm in my second year of student affairs and higher education and we call it Sahi over here. Um, and I'm I'm studying at Missouri State University. Um, I'm a graduate, graduate assistant at the Career Center and currently completing my third practicum at Enrolled Management and Services Office and happy to be here in the podcast and sharing my insights with you all. Great, thank you. Peter. Let's get Pennsylvania in there. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Peter Sue. I use any pronouns. Um, I am at the University of Pittsburgh, finishing up my second and last year of my master's higher ed program. Um, currently, right now, I am the graduate student assistant for the Career Center, where I am a career consultant for the um, vast population of computer science, tech, um, and data analyst students. Um, and we are now in the outreach of also doing international work with uh, those students as well. So great work and happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Peter. And last but not least, Adrian, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Adrian Reyes. Um, I am a second year master's student at the University of Kansas in the HEO program, Higher Education Administration. So many acronyms. Um, <laughs> as for my assistantship, I am uh, in student housing, I'm assistant complex director for one of our apartment style living communities, as well as our expanded housing. And this is the first year that we've done that because we had over 500 extra students. 
um, that we needed to provide housing for. So this is the first time that I am overseeing expanded housing and that's been a, a journey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it is um, really exciting kind of hearing everybody's current role and work and, you know, the different programs that we have represented. Of course, there are many, many, many more, um, lots of different pathways. Hopefully for folks who are listening or watching today, this will give um, you a little bit of an insight as to, you know, what it is to work um, as a graduate student in student affairs, why student affairs is the field. Um, and so we're going to go um, in the opposite order now um, and ask everybody to answer the next kind of series of questions, but this, you know, without kind of repeating everybody else, so we'll, we'll kind of keep it concise. Um, first, what experiences led you to pursue a master's degree in student affairs? A little bit about why you chose the program you did and any kind of particular good experiences or things you would have wished had gone differently uh, during the process. So in reverse order, Adrian, we're gonna start with you this time. Awesome. So I wasn't really looking at higher ed as like a career. Nobody really tells you that like, oh, higher ed, it's a career. You can work <laughs> in a university, you can go to school for that. Exactly. So um, I think I learned that maybe my last year of undergrad, um, I was originally a biology major with a teacher certification and I could not pass organic chemistry. And that was my weed out class. So I had to change my major. And uh, my advisor was like, how many times are you going to take OCHEM and fail it? I was just like, I just, I'm just trying to get out of here. Um, but she was just like, well, what do you want to do if, if like you don't want to be a teacher? And I'm, I was just like, you know what? I want to do what you do. I think I want to be an advisor. I, I love what you do. I love helping students throughout for like their journey um, throughout undergrad and to be there with them every step of the way, just how, just how like she was there for me. Um, so she was just like, well, you know, you can go to school for that, right? And I was just like already in school for over six years. It took me a while to get my bachelor's, but I was just like, you know what? Just put me on something to get me out of here. So I uh, majored in sociology, finished within a year. And then um, I actually didn't really think of higher ed again. I you know, worked full time and then it was just kind of in the back of my mind, like, is this what you wanna do? And maybe you should pursue that. And then one year I got tired of just like putting things off after COVID. And I was just like, I'm gonna try and do something different. I need a career change. And so I ended up at KU um, after looking at programs and I wasn't really into online programs and like working full time. So I really liked the assistantship aspect at KU and then going to school full time and applying, you know, theory to practice, so. Okay, great. Thank you for kicking us off with this, this piece of the conversation. Peter, we're gonna go to you next. Why Pittsburgh, what led you to pursue a career in student affairs? Yeah, um, similarly to Adrian, I actually like was in the same traditional route of like my parents really wanted me to do like um, a medical degree and go into like medical school. And I, I was just going to follow the path that they chose for me. But um, I was heavily involved with a lot of student programs that would help first year generation students of color like me. And I it led me to do some leadership within that department for a little bit and um, shout out to the University of North Texas because they really are just the best. And I I think because of that like help and assistance, I really want to give back. And throughout my like junior year, I was trying to figure out like, how am I gonna go about and doing this medical degree? And I 
was just frustrated because I don't think that was a path for me. And my advisor the same way was like looking at my resume and was looking at my like, credentials was like, you have a lot of like education and a lot of like student facing roles. Like, have you ever thought about higher ed? And I was like, oh, sure. Like, I don't know. Like, how does that, what does that look like? And um, got to talk about it. And I found out that a lot of my, like the people that I worked with, my lots of leaders and I worked with actually had those degrees and um, it kind of blossomed into that, having that interest, but I didn't actually get into the higher ed degree until I um, graduated and then taught for a semester and then went back to kind of get a gauge as to like, what is the route I want to get into? Um, so uh, later down the line, I was, um, able to figure it out because I realized that teaching at this age is not the most appropriate because they're not going to respect you the same way that they respect mm. someone that's a little bit older. Um, they looked at me like I was more of their like older sibling and I was just like, mm. I need to work with people who um, I can relate to a little bit more and maybe like later down the line I could. But um, yes, I was able to kind of have that transition, have that reality check and I'm really grateful to be here at Pitt because they offer so much that my small town university, even though they had a higher ed program, um, couldn't provide. And I kind of wanted that um, city vibe that Pittsburgh could offer. But yeah. Well, great. I love it. Um, Hureb, tell us a little bit about your path. Yeah. So as for me, I explored my passion of working in the field of education while I was doing my undergraduate program in oh. chemistry um, and had, had a chance to take foundations of education course as a gender led course requirement. Um, ever since then, I knew what I wanted to do. So I taught chemistry at a high school for three years right after my graduation from my undergrad. And I think that was the time that's where I decided that I wanted to work with and for students um, and outside of class too. So I was working inside of class, but then I wanted to do outside of class um, because I just realized that there's a lot of work behind the scenes to that. Um, just make sure that academic side runs smoothly for students. Um, and there are so many factors and aspects um, that student success is dependent upon. So I think um, that's where I was convinced of pursuing the field of student affairs in higher education to make a little impact in their lives somehow. So I say, um, chemistry was my love at that time and I figured out that education was my passion so I decided to pursue my passion for my master's and my career so that that's how I ended up in student affairs in higher education I love it there's a lot of uh, head nodding for those of you who are listening um it sounds like chemistry is like a common thread there's some interesting kind of overlaps there um, also, I'm hearing a little bit of like a self-authorship theme, if you all know that theory, right? Like writing your own mm -hmm. script, your own story. That's great. Um, Terry, tell us a little bit about your path. Absolutely. I love that you pointed that out because I found myself to be nodding my head quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so my journey into um, student affairs actually starts way, way back long ago uh, when, I, when I started undergrad um, at the University of Michigan in, in 2005. And um, as a first generation student of color, my family could not imagine that I would go to a place like the University of Michigan and not become a doctor. However, it was a practicum in sociology. It was the service learning program that kind of made me um, kind of redirect my focus on what I wanted to do with my life and what was my purpose. I had always as a child wanted to be a teacher. And so I just started to 
at toward the end of my undergraduate experience, I started to seek out this love for service learning. Um, and that actually led me to becoming a substitute teacher in Washtenaw County, uh, which you can do with 90 credit hours or more uh, of your bachelor's degree. And so, That's good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I, I began that work. I loved substitute teaching. I learned in that uh, then that experience, two things. Number one, that the students of Ann Arbor Public Schools have um, wonderful resources available to them um, and that I could actually be doing that substitute teaching work at home. But I also discovered that my spirit, um, it does not belong in four walls uh, for mm. the duration of the day. And so I began to explore careers in my hometown community and I networked my way into exploration. Um, so for anybody out there um, who thinks that you have to have a defined path, I don't think that's true. Um, you can put one foot in front of the other and continue asking yourself questions. Um, through that, I became a college advisor with the Michigan College Advising Program. I got 90% or more of my local students to sign up for a place-based scholarship available here in our community. That got the attention of the folks who administer that scholarship. So I eventually became a program manager after that gap year position. From there, I worked several years, six up to six years in my community and my exposure to Kellogg Community College, our community college in town, um, my exposure to them made me realize I love going to campus. I love working with students in that capacity. I, I see that it's a vibrant, open community. It was something I really wanted to be a part of. And I literally, by multiple, more than five applications, had to beat down the door. But finally, with all of my eight years of experience, I was able to win a manager position here in the admissions office. Um, and one year into this office and doing this admissions work, I knew, I knew that higher education and student affairs was for me. And so that's when I engaged uh, with Western Michigan University. And I wouldn't trade any part of my experience. Um, I, I think that my journey is my own. I love hearing mm -hmm. all of our stories here on the podcast. And I love working with our students and learning about their individual journeys, the, the transferable skills. And I'll end on this. The transferable skills that I feel like I'm learning in the HESA program at WMU, engaging diverse populations, uh, uh, you know, implementing equitable practice, um, also, you know, assessing the work that we do. I think all of these are transferable. So who knows what the future holds, as I described, putting one foot in, in front of the other in this journey. Um, but I do know that whatever the future will be, the skills that I'm learning now um, are going to be invaluable. I love it. That is fantastic. Um, I did not know this on Monday when we chatted that you had this other longer, longer story. So I love hearing that. Um, Grace, you're next. Tell us about your, your path at, into Vermont. Yeah, for sure. So as someone who went to a business school, it was not organic chemistry that turned me away, but it was accounting. Um, I took one accounting class and said, oh, no, maybe not for me. So I think I had to quickly pivot and find my passions elsewhere because I really liked the school, but the business side wasn't wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. Um, and I think what drew me to Vermont, honestly, was something that we refer to as the Vermont Connection. And that's both our peer-reviewed scholarly journal that's completely student-run that we produce every year, as well as our really expansive alumnus network. And so two of my mentors in undergrad were part of the Vermont Connection. They'd gone through the UVM HESA program. And they said, hey, have you considered this? And I was like, oh, no, I didn't even know this was a career, as Adrian said. So I think having those opportunities to work closely with them throughout my undergrad experience and knowing that business wasn't really my passion and needing to pivot was really helpful in directing me into UVM's HESA program. And it's been a great decision for me. And I've really enjoyed my time here. 
That is great. I love that connection piece. And I love also the mentors and the roles that they play. That's great. Uh, Brianna, tell us a bit about your story. Yes. So during my undergrad experience at Western Illinois University, um, I didn't have the best experience as undergrad. And I was very, um, I was like an advocate on campus. Um, I ended up growing a lot of relationships with the higher up people, like the president of the university, um, working with board of trustees, all of that stuff to like change policies and stuff. And that's when a lot of my mentors on campus was like, oh, you should look into higher ed or like student affairs. Um, however, I was an education major and I did take a gap year to teach kindergarten for a year. It's a big jump from kindergarten to college, but they all act the same. <laughs> for me, I was going to say, um, it is the same. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty much the same. Um, so I took a gap year and taught kindergarten, but I was still kind of like, I do like the K through 12, but I also still want to get a feel for the higher ed level. Um, so that's when I came to UGA. I loved their program. I looked at their faculty and it was one faculty member who was actually the program coordinator now, who I was like looking into her work and seeing what she does. And I was like, I would love to like, learn from her and just like be in her capacity. So that's how I ended up here at UGA. That's great. Thank you so much, Brianna. Um, Jose, tell us your Western Michigan story. We heard Terry's. Yes. Um, so like other people have said, of course, there's tons of undergrad experiences that I had. I went to Central Michigan University for undergrad. And in high school, I did a lot of um like AP and dual enrollment. So I was ahead. So I was able to explore a lot more. I had a lot of wiggle room in my, um, in my class schedules. Um, but then it also meant that I had more time to spend exploring different programs on campus. So I really got involved in campus programming, um, specifically with um, shout out to two programs. One of them was sexual aggression peer advocates. Um, so we ran a 24 seven, um, hotline for survivors of sexual aggression. We also did programming and outreach in that program. I, um, I, in, I installed, I guess, um, a diversity and inclusion committee. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I felt like, Hey, we're not doing enough to address that aspect of things in this program. Um, and then I was also a student facilitator and I became a student coordinator for leadership camp. And that was a program for high school juniors and seniors to explore the social change model of leadership. Um, and so those experiences really made me want to do programming specifically with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, in the higher ed realm. Um, because I feel like a lot of these conversations are easier to like there there's more opportunity to have these at a higher ed education institution um and also I think a lot of higher education institutions have a lot of work to do in those regards um and so when I was looking for programs um Western Michigan University's HESA program that's one of the central pillars of the of their mission is diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Um, and I've seen that in the classes so far as well, is that is something that we will always bring the conversation back to it. So like I'm in a theory class right now um, 
and we're always questioning hey like was this theory made for every college student or was it just made for a subset of college students um and so that was that was the big reason why I settled on the Western's program because I felt like it addressed um, diversity and inclusion the best out of everything that I that I was able to find. I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Jose, for sharing that that piece. And I love the like pathway through different undergraduate experiences. That's cool. Um, Huda, tell us a little bit about your your pathway. Sure, thank you. It's been lovely to hear all of you and your stories. I definitely echo a lot of what has been heard. Um, I would say that I also experienced a lot of identity foreclosure and pressure from my family and society to do certain things and be a certain profession. Um, initially, when I started undergrad, I was in biology and like Adrian, I got to organic chemistry and was like, okay. <laughs> um, but thankfully I had advisors and, that I could meet with and that talked to me about other professions and other fields. And I switched over to psychology with a focus on developmental psychology. And I started to feel this feeling of like really enjoying going to class, like really enjoying learning content. Um, and that really made like university just it totally changed my perception of higher ed and post-secondary. Um, and then I knew that once I knew that feeling and what that was like, I really wanted that in a graduate program. So I really wanted a graduate program that I really felt like I connected with and really identified with. Um, I would say my student affairs journey actually started in like middle school. Like I think I was doing student affairs work <laughs> as early as like grade seven, um, just planning like student clubs, student organizations. And I guess I didn't even really know that that was student affairs. Um, like Jose also did a lot of student affairs in high school um, with my student government um, and student leadership in general. I remember there was a point where I was like printing out like leader as like white letters and we were like ironing them on onto shirts for like our student leadership and when I, I just think of that and I just think of how like all of us do student affairs work in our life and we don't even know it until someone is like you're literally a student affairs administrator. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's a little bit about that and why I chose my program. Um, so I've always been interested in education, um, even when I was in psychology, I was interested in the psychoeducation piece, like how do we educate people on their development, especially adolescents, the like emerging adulthood window that's traditional undergrad age, like that's so important and why don't we know anything about it? <laughs> um, so I, when I became a I saw the program to do administration for higher ed, I thought like, oh, maybe I should check that out because I wanted to do administration in general for education. So it was kind of just like random. I just came to the campus with my dad. We did a little tour. We found the program. And I really just thought that that was something that aligned with what I wanted to do and what I saw myself doing. Um, yeah. And then my experiences in my graduate program have been so amazing. Like I've just been able to, because I go to a small college, I've been able to connect with a lot of administrators and really see myself in their position. So that has been extremely valuable um, and definitely not something that I had in undergrad where there was like 60,000 students at my school. So <laughs> go small colleges. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so now it's the Texas State Group. So Andrew, tell us a little bit about your pathway in and then why that school? Yeah, of course. So for me, I went to a small uh, college for my undergrad. I attended Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa. Go do Hawks, shout out to them. Uh, and I went in, just like others, I went in with 
just this notion of like, I'm going to do this for my family. Uh, I'm a first generation college student. My parents are Latino. We have a small business back at home. And I told myself, I'm going to do business and marketing because I'm going to do the stereotypical go to college, go back home, you know, help my family with a small business. And that's it. Then I took principles of marketing and I'm like, I don't like marketing. This is not for me. And truthfully, I think what really led me into wanting to do student affairs was just I was very involved on campus. I was doing things like student government. I was a peer advisor, resident assistant. I was uh, president of our LULAC chapter, the League of United Latin American Citizens. And so doing all of that work, working alongside other students, I obviously started off as a younger student and I was learning from people that were above me. And then I worked my way up to those bigger leadership positions where I was doing the delegation. I was talking to students. And I was, as a peer advisor, you know, assisting them through their first year of college. Um, and for, for me, I think one of the big things was um, my, someone I consider a mentor, uh, Sergio Perez. He was our college diversity officer. And Loris College is a predominantly white institution. And he was one of, I want to say, a few Latinos that uh, worked at Loris College. And for me, seeing a Hispanic, queer, first-generation um, adult mm-hmm. in such a position of power, I was like, you know what, I can do that. I can do that. And I had, I don't know if anybody else had this, but I had the fear of, I don't know about higher education or education work. It has that negative background to it. Um, My family, one of the big things is like, no van a pagar mucho. They're not going to pay a lot. And so for me, I was like, no, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I remember sitting in his office one day and telling him like in tears, I was like, I think I'm afraid to say I want to do higher education work, but I want to do higher education work. And he ended up uh, sending me off to the Oshkosh Placement Exchange in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, uh, OPE, where I interviewed about at about maybe 15 to 16 different institutions. Uh, Very stressful weekend, but it was very, very amazing to see like all these different types of institutions from very small colleges to humongous institutions. And for me, I think my deciding factor in going to Texas State Big thing for me, it was the complete opposite of Loris. I wanted to do something a little bit different than the small, predominantly white Catholic institution. And to be here at Texas State, um, it's a Hispanic serving institution. Um, it's a lot more opportunities when it comes to things like the city. The city, San Marcos, is way different than Dubuque, Iowa. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also been a good learning opportunity for me as I, I came originally from Phoenix, Arizona. I moved to a small town in Dubuque. And now never did I envision myself coming to Texas, but here I am. It's been an amazing learning opportunity. The cohort model, I'm sure Morrow might even mention, um, our cohorts are an amazing group. And the fact that we can do like cross cohort opportunities with each other has been amazing for me. Um, And I think I always say, and I always tell people, I know that I made the right decision. And truthfully, I think for me, one of the biggest things is I always have a piece of why I'm in student affairs with me. There's like a little picture right here. I don't know if you guys can see, Uh, but those of you at home, those were my last group of residents when I was an RA at Loris College. And Mm -hmm. they're my soccer boys. And I think they were that deciding factor for me of saying like, you know what, I'm going to do this as a career. Oh my gosh, that's a great story. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, we also had a shout out to OPE on a previous episode here. We had this whole like, is it still a thing? And apparently is definitely still a thing. So I love that. That's great. Mara, tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Texas State. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually was on my way to go to law school. I was a political science major at my undergrad institution, um, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And I just realized that I 
as much as I wanted to be like the next Olivia Pope or Annalise Keating, it just wasn't going to work for me. And I had a law class that like spooked me out of going to law school. Um, and so I kind of had like a, a panic that self-authorship definitely like had kicked in because I was like, this is not the pathway that I want. How am I going to fix it? I have to graduate. Like, what am I going to do? Um, and so I was super involved in undergrad um, within our division of student affairs. Um, president, vice president of, you know, Association of Black Students, Natural Hair Network, um, was a resident assistant, uh, also served in our student senate um, in different positions. And so I was super involved and just kind of noticed how I was sitting at tables with leadership in mm -hmm. undergrad and didn't notice the impact that I had as a student. Um, and so I valued that a lot. And then I started to also notice that we had a lot of transitioning happening with advisors that I was working with. So at least every year I had a different advisor within our multicultural office or even within our residence halls, um, you know, leaderships and positions changing. And so I was like, why are all these people leaving? And like realizing the impact that it had on me as a student, I was like, I can't have them leave. Like, this is not going to help me get through undergrad. And it made me think about how important they were to me and my development as a student and how they did more than my professors could do in my classroom for me and keeping me at SMU because I was a non-traditional student and transferred in after a semester. And so at some point I was ready to go because if you ever hear anything about SMU, it is a very affluent institution. Um, lots of, you know, students come in, you know, from a very affluent backgrounds and having different experiences and the black student population is very small. And so it was hard for me to adjust, but I ended up, you know, doing a, a leadership conference and that ended up changing my whole entire perspective on, you know, college and seeing how everybody can be brought together um, just off of leadership and being involved was uh, eye-opening to me. And so from there, you know, I had another person leave that was in my life. I was an advisor and I was like, you can't leave. Like, you know what, how about I do what you do? And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I think I want to do student affairs. Like you have impacted me so much. Um, and, you know, from there, somebody was like, you know what, we need to bring back enough. And so my institution had the National Undergraduate Fellowship Program from NASPA on our campus um, a few years ago before I did, but they hadn't brought it back. And so at the time, our Vice President of Student Affairs, Dr. Casey Mayjay, was the chair. And so he ended up, you know, letting me apply at the last minute. I wasn't even an official enough. It was very unofficial. And I ended up doing my internship at SMU. Um, where I was able to work with our Women in LGBT Center, um, our Student Experience Center, and I was able to actually build a Women in Leadership cohort program based off of a book that you contributed to, um, Heather. It's the We Are Leaders of Tomorrow. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's so awesome. That's I was so able to use that as like the framework of my project for Enough, which was really an eye-opening experience to see what it's like to be a woman in leadership, and I think that's really what pushed me to actually say, you know what, I will do student affairs. Um, so I'm very thankful to my NUP and NASPA community for that. Um, and so I ended up doing some searches for grad school. Um, I was a McNair scholar, and so they supported me in that. And I actually had a mentor who went to Texas State, and I had a lot of opinions about where I should go. And I think I ended up choosing Texas State because of where it's located. I'm from Austin, San Marcos isn't too far, but I also appreciated our program faculty. Um, Dr. Page is amazing. She pours into us as well as Dr. Dean Scott um, and the assistantship support is also amazing. Um, and so I think that without those factors, I wouldn't have chosen Texas State. 
Um, and I also had an amazing supervisor who wanted to grow me as a professional. That definitely made me um, settle in on that decision because I didn't want to come back close to home. Um, I love it and hate it every day, but I'm definitely thankful for it. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Paige is one of my favorite people on the planet. We interacted and overlapped while we were at the University of Arizona, which is, a, it's just a yes. small world. That's, small I think world. that's the yes. main, the main takeaway too, is that there's like one degree of separation. Um, speaking of, of which, Justin, you're at MSU. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up um, here. Yeah. Um, so try to be brief. Um, there's a lot of things that were said that I could definitely relate to. Um, and Andrew, I think that I have a, 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 a friend that also went to Laura, so we have to connect out offline. Um, but like Mara said, I was also on the law school track. Um, I quickly realized that litigating was something I was very, I really liked it, but it was not something I was passionate about. I really liked policy and I also served as an international RA. Um, at my institution at Saginaw Valley State University. Um, and I also was in a global leadership um, program called the Roberts Fellowship. Um, and so I re quickly realized that international education was something I was always passionate about. And then combining that with my passion with policy really helped me. So I decided to take two years off. Um, I also was an advisor like Terry at Michigan College Access Network with Advise Michigan as a college advisor for a low-income first-gen school. Um, like that, I shared that identity and I wanted to give back. And after those two experiences, plus spending some time abroad in those two years, I decided I'm going to apply to some grad schools. And uh, Michigan State specifically stood out to me because of the theory to practice pipeline, essentially, um, as well as those practicum opportunities that were available. And these type of assistantship I wanted, um, Michigan State had, and it was also close to home. And for me, those factors all led me to apply to Michigan State and to be accepted and now currently in the program. And I'm very happy to be ultimately on this podcast um, that led me to here. So that's just a little bit about um, how grad school was the decision for me. So fun. So I love all the overlapping common themes, the shared experiences, maybe even pet people who we both, uh, we've all interacted with. So um, we'll definitely have to continue some like back channel conversation afterwards. Um, so my next couple of questions have to do with this, like going directly from grads or going directly from undergrad to grad school. And then those who took some time off and advice um, in the, in the spirit of time, I may have just one or two people answer each of these questions, and then we'll get to the next series, which is all about kind of current topics and and how grad school is preparing us to address them. So um, by a show of hands, who went directly from undergrad to grad school like me? Okay, we got a couple of folks. Um, whoever would like to speak and give their like, why, what advice you might have for current undergrads who are like right now going, oh my gosh, grad school applications are due like in a couple of months. What would you, what would you suggest? Who'd like to take this one? Huda, yes. Yeah, I can go. Thank you. So when I completed my undergrad, I thought about what skill sets and competencies I have. And I think that that is extremely important because, you know, we all go to higher ed for some reason, and then we all do very unique degrees that give us all these skills that will relate to what we want to do in the future. Um, I would also think, what do you really like? Like, what do you really like doing? You know, that's not a question that we really are encouraged to ask ourselves. We're encouraged to go to school, get a job, get a better job, but we're not really ever like, <laughs> put in that position of reflection, like what do, what, what do we want to do and what do we see ourselves doing? 
one of the main reasons I did student affairs was because there, I, at the end of my degree, I thought about all the people who had helped me get there. I thought about all the people who inspired me and helped me get that piece of paper that I was so longing for. And so that is what really helped me to see myself in careers that I may not even had imagined. Um, and additionally, I would look internationally. I came from Canada. I did my undergrad at the University of British Columbia. So I think there's a lot of pressure for like Western education to be the pinnacle, but we can learn so much from other countries mm. and we can learn so much from other cultures. And so if you want to do student affairs somewhere else, like I encourage you to go do that. And I'm also interested in maybe thinking of doing that after I've done my graduate degree, but to, you know, to, to look at the programs, there's hundreds and thousands of schools, but look mm. at that program, look at the syllabus, look at the breakdown, really look at the classes you're going to be taking. Like, do those classes align with your values? Are you interested in learning those things? Like all of those things are going to really set you up for success and will really help you to succeed in your program. Great advice. I love it. Maybe one other person to speak to the direct pipeline. Grace, do you want to go next? Yeah, I think everything you said was great. The only thing I'll add is for me, I think imposter syndrome played a little bit of a role mm. coming right out of undergrad. And I would just remind you and advise you to know that your experiences in undergrad or in work are so valuable and contribute greatly to class discussions, to your program, to your peers. And so I would say to really lean into that, be proud of what you've done in the past and just be willing to bring that and contribute that to your program because it really will be super valuable even if you're like oh I was just an undergrad like I did these things but as you heard on this call people have been involved in a wide variety of things that have really contributed to their success in the field so that would be my other piece of advice if you're thinking about entering right out of undergrad. I love it yes those co-curricular experiences that you had as an undergrad are super valuable um, and relate really well, right, to, to current students having just been there. Um, for those folks who did some other things for a little while and then made a career change, what advice or suggestions do you have for folks who are maybe in that, in that pipeline, potentially? Who wants to answer this? Justin. Yeah, so for me, like I mentioned, I served two years as a college advisor. And the kind of advice I would give is like, if you are in kind of like a state of ambiguity to like, like Grace said, lean into it um, and to understand like, what is your passion, your purpose for being, you know, is it to help people? And so for me doing two years at a low income first gen high school, a high school that uh, I was a part of um, really helped me and to give back and was like, this is something I'm very passionate about. This is the purpose for my being. And um, that will ultimately led me to student affairs and at Michigan State. Um, so like I said, lean into it. It is okay to take some time off and there really is no timelines for success. I think even being in my cohort, um, we have a wide diversity of experiences um, and taking time off is an important experience that contributes great to the classroom. So I think lean into that, it is okay to take some time. And I really um, wish I had someone to say that to me, but you're in that situation and you need someone to say that it is okay to take some time off and to figure out what is your purpose. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Just deciding to go to grad school so you don't know what's next may not be the best reason. Yes. Um, Hureb, what do you, what would you like to add to that? Um, yeah. So, um, um, great. Um, I would, let me just, Make sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think those insights were great, but I would also say that, um, just changing your career path is sometimes can be 
a little bit challenging and it could also include a lot of thought process. But as I mentioned earlier, that I was a high school teacher for three years and it was a little change for me being on the administrative side this time um, instead of instructional side. But I would say that you have to have a vision of doing something for someone and having a positive impact on someone's life because having that vision and passion would make it really easy for you to remind yourself every single day, why are you in the field of student affairs? And this field is great as you get to make a lot of good connections and friends and you meet so many inspirational people almost every single day along your way. And I think most importantly, you feel connected at the end of the day. So wherever you uh, feel Wherever you go, you just you just have to feel like you are you're you're really there where you and and there's there should also be a sense of belong belonging. So I think um if you're passionate about it, if you have a great vision, why are you in this field? This is perfect for you. I love it. That's great. Um, Adrian, you have your hand. Yes. Um, I was just gonna add first. I took a break. I took a five year break from my bachelor's to my master's in. So it was very intimidating to try and come back to school. Um, so my advice would be just to just take that leap. Like I know it could be scary. Um, like Grace said, the imposter syndrome is real and it hits so hard. Um, and to just like the worst that can say is no, right? You apply to school and that's your big fear, right? There, I've been at, I've been out of school so long. I really don't know how to write anymore. Um, and just like right when you right when you get back into it, it it slowly it grows, right? Um, so just to like don't be afraid and do your research, seek all your advice. As a first gen student, nobody in my family has a, had a bachelor's. Um, and definitely nobody had a master's. So um, coming into that, it was kind of intimidating. Like, I don't know what to do, but just just do your research, call the schools, ask around, find the program that works best for you, and then just do your best. That's really all you can do is just do your best and find your support systems when you get into school. Mm, that's really powerful. I think that's so, that is so true. And I hear this um, from many, and that first class, you know, that first writing assignment is often, a, that's a struggle, right? But there are lots of resources on almost every campus to help you um, get through. And if you can just push that little imposter syndrome voice to the side a little, um, really, really key. Mm -hmm. um, Terry, what would you add? And then we'll go to Mara. Yeah, I just want to quickly add, I love, I'm resonating with everything that's being shared. I just want to add as someone who took 12 years between undergrad and graduate school, that although I had a fierce insecurity watching my peers go on directly to school, um, having experienced work in K through 12 after undergrad in the nonprofit space after undergrad, and then in the higher education space prior to then ultimately choosing a program, I now find myself in WMU's HESA program making direct applications literally every day, multiple times a lecture, so whereas I used to be insecure, I now view my previous experiences in taking that break between undergrad and graduate school um, as, as beneficial, like extraordinarily so, um, to where now I feel like my learning is much more substantive um, than perhaps if I had initially agreed to go straight to uh, graduate school and then kind of um, have to do extra work to make those applications, I'm, I'm able to do so in real time. Love that. Mara, you have a you have kind of the opposite, right? So you were did directly yeah. to, and then now you're working full time and also still in grad school. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I took the traditional route of going straight from undergrad to grad school, doing my assistantship for a full year. And in and, and May, I took a leave of faith and applied for a job at UT, um, considering there were some just organizational changes happening at Texas State. Um, and it was a transition. It, it was a transition, um, one that I definitely could not research. Nobody could really tell me what it was going to look like. I mean, I had some peers that had did a transition from being a GA to a full-time staff member in the midst of their first year. But I think that it's, very different to be in a program and also be working full-time especially like Terry like you're at two different institutions mm -hmm. it's a hard balance but I think that I've learned that it's something that I wish I would have known I could have done prior to starting my program had I had known that you don't have to be in a master's program and working full-time in student affairs I think I would have taken advantage of it earlier and I'm thankful for my assistantship but I think that there's so much that I'm learning as a full-time staff member that I wish I had started off with my experience as um, and I think a lot of us are conditioned to the idea that you have to get your master's in student affairs before you get your first full-time job, um, which is not the case, which is comes into the importance of reading a job description, understanding like what boxes do you check off and if you're eligible um, for that fit in that role, because most of us probably are and we just don't think about it. Um, and so it's definitely been hard balancing it, but I have a job that understands flexibility and work-life integration with me, you know, going to class and leaving early and a supervisor that supports me getting my degree. Um, so I'm very thankful for that experience. That's great. That's great. Yes, there is not just one path. There is, you know, sounds like also this third option of starting and then going to full time. So great. I love hearing all of these experiences. So if you're watching today and you're like, how does this all fit? You know, now you have just seen multiple different versions. Um, so I want to move into the next segment, which is really about like the current topics like facing our field. What are some of the things that are coming up in your classes? Um, discussions, and then what are some experiences that are helping you prepare to tackle these? So I'm kind of combined for those of you who are following along on our on our question document, like I'm going to kind of combine five and six in the interest of time. And let's just have an open conversation, just like you would in class. Like what are the topics that are facing the field? And then what are some of the things that you are learning about, whether it's research or whether it's scholarly journals or conversations that are preparing you to tackle? Um, so Brianna, kick us off. Okay, so since my institution is located in the Southeast, um, we are heavily talking about like lawmakers and like laws that are being passed that goes yes. against DEI. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of learning how to still foster that sense of belonging with our students because like with Florida, Florida is like four hours away from us from Georgia. So mm -hmm. we have students that are that live in Florida and coming up and stuff like that. Um, so we're definitely learning like how that might look for us in the next year or even the, the next six months for all we know. Okay. Um, and then how to still foster that sense of belonging. And some of the experiences that I am getting while being in this program, like right now we're working on a year long project with um, mentors that are currently working in the field. So I get to work with, actually on the academic side, I get to work with two faculty members um, on the instruction side and we're focusing on our focus group or environment is sense of belonging in the facts department. So, and the other ones are like first year students, um, black men, and then rural students because that's a heavy population on campus. So we're getting those hands-on experiences with current people who are in the field and we get to kind of like 
look at it <laughs> and observe it. So that's that's like our big topic right now is um, DEI and how that's going to impact us in student affairs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, this has been a conversation wherever you are, right, in the U.S., but I think it's even more specific and, and particularly relevant where you are, um, and that is for sure something that I think the field, the larger field is talking about, right, because we still have professionals who are working in those states, and we need to support them, too, in doing this work. Um, yes, Andrew, what would you say? What would you add to this? Uh, going off of Brianna, what you guys have... Um fear I think we already are going through here in mm, Texas, Texas yeah. we sure are mm -hmm. uh, Senate Bill 17 in mm -hmm. August um Texas State University did um I guess I, I don't know how to say the word properly but we no longer have a inclusive excellence division uh here so I think for me one of the biggest things has been uh kind of finding a ways to make an inclusive and diverse campus without technically using those terms mm. um a little bit difficult. I think for me, when I came to Texas State University, uh, prior to coming here, uh, and still now, my passion is DEI work and doing uh, multicultural student work. Um, and coming to this school, once I realized, hey, there's not going to be any more of these offices. These are legally not allowed anymore. Um, it was a challenge for me, but I, in my eyes, I love a challenge. <laughs> and I love to be able to see um, what are we going to do? You know, what's next from here? Uh, I think in our class, we have these discussions a lot of, you know, we want this career, we want to be within DEI work, but what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to do it? Uh, and I think one of the biggest things we learned is you, a lot of us, you know, no matter what area or what functional area of student affairs we're in, we're doing diversity work, we're doing uh, equity and inclusion work. It's just done in a different capacity. Uh -huh. So it's seeing, I guess, for me, especially as a first year cohort student, um, what am I going to do going forward? You know, am I going to stay here in Texas? Is, am I going to move on somewhere else? Um, it's very interesting. And I think I know Mara might have a little bit to touch on, especially from a full time uh, employee role. Yeah, Mara, what would you say? What would you add? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be super quick, but just to definitely highlight that um, effective in June. Um, that's when the bill was passed. And so come January 1st, all of these offices across Texas are having to either close or, you know, reshift. And fortunately for us at uh, my current position, we also have, we had a diversity and inclusion um, position, but we're just now restructuring to access belonging and civic engagement. And so seeing that UT, for example, is able to kind of shift things, whereas other institutions are straight up closing things is a very mm -hmm. interesting experience mm -hmm. um, coming from Texas State and really working directly with that inclusive excellence office. Um, but also on the other side of that, I work with admissions and recruiting in my role um, at UT. And so the affirmative action has definitely mm -hmm. touched base with us and we had to endure a lot of meetings with, um, you know, our legal team at UT. And so in class, we've definitely been talking about like, what does it look like to actually work in these roles in the future? Because we're focused on the job transition. And so all of us are like, do we want to work in these fields where we're not able to do the work that we initially wanted to do, but kind of having to reframe our mindset and say that we can still do the work. It's just not in the way that we've been able to do it in the past. And so definitely reimagining those practices that we once knew and reframing them is definitely something that is possible. But it's interesting to see how other institutions are taking actions that are just eliminating it, such as like mm. UNT or, you know, Texas State. Um, and those people still have jobs. Some of them do, but it's still yeah. hard to watch and something to really think about. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's going to continue to, I think, and it, I worry about it trickling across, right? If it worked in Texas, we can do this elsewhere. And then pretty soon we have a completely different focus and yeah, that's a huge concern for me. Um, Jose, what about, what about you? What would you add to this? Um, so I went to the ACPA ASH presidential symposium, um, talking about bridging I was there the too. divide. Yes, I saw you there. Oh my gosh. Um, so um, one of the big topics, and I've been having these conversations with at Western, they reformed. So diversity and inclusion used to be under student affairs, and now it's a whole division itself. Um, mm-hmm. And having conversations about it's not just um, for students, it's like we're making institutional wide um yeah decisions and um making it so that when we're doing diversity and inclusion work um yes reframing it and like renaming it and having it you know fly under the radar because a lot of these laws and litigation are more surface level they're not really addressing the deeper pieces of it but then also figuring out how do we make sure that this work is integrated everywhere um and so it's rooted in all of the practices across the university and institution um because at that point good luck trying to litigate everything out of the institution if it's already in the practices and then it it'll show how important it is to the institution um and kind of thinking about how do we also reframe the conversation Um, If people are only going to listen to money and dollar signs, we have to talk their language and say, well, economically, diversity and inclusion is very important. Like those things are important to people. People aren't going to want to go to your institutions if they don't feel a sense of belonging. Why am I going to pay all this money if um, I'm I'm not feeling included? I'm not getting the most out of this experience. And so at Western, we have what's called diversity cognates. So it's six credit hours of either classes or internships or anything that fits within um, doing work in that regard. So I think that's one way of preparing us for that. It sounds like you all have been having incredible conversations in your classes and really some practical, maybe some, maybe some aspirational solutions. Um, this is the kind of conversation I love and I hate to cut off. Um, we're getting close on time. We always run out of time. And I knew with a large panel, we would, we would be there today. So I hope in our final thoughts, everybody has a chance to, to say one more thing that they want to kind of leave us with. Um, So we always run out of time. Our final question is always, this is student affairs now. What are some of the things that you're pondering, questioning, excited about, troubling, um, et cetera, now? And we're gonna gonna go with the same order that we did in the intro, the first question. So Justin, I'm gonna have you kick us off with final thoughts. Um, I think final thoughts, I think what we've discussed in this last couple of things, the- 
very real realities of um, legislation happening. It is troublesome, it's very concerning, but I think we have a really great group of student affairs professionals here um, and in our future that are working to like rectify this and to change it. So something that I think I'm very excited to see through a lot of our programs and to see all of our future professionals here do in the future. So I'm excited for all of us to tackle these issues head on. Could not agree more. Mara. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Justin just said. I think one thing I'm excited about is creating a environment of choice affirmation for our students that decide to come into the programs that we or the institutions that we work at. Because um, I think that's the biggest tackle that we're all going to be you know, facing as we enter, you know, post January 1st, 2024. Um, and so making sure that students have that sense of belonging and feel valued on their campuses is something that I'm excited about. And having, you know, a staff and a dean that I work with that supports that um, is definitely something that makes me excited to go to work every day, despite all of the you know changes in the climate that we're living in. Um, so, yeah. Perfect. Great. Thank you, Andrew. I think for me, just also echoing what Justin Moore was saying, just hearing everybody's stories and everyone uh, speak throughout this, I'm excited to see the future of student affairs because that's mm -hmm. who uh, I'm excited to stay connected with a lot of you, seeing us get our hoods in one, two, three years um, and sharing those pictures because I think, um, like we were saying, like these are all very, very engaging conversations and the future looks bright and I'm very excited for that. Um, and yeah, I think that's my big piece. I love it. That's great. Huda, what about you? Yeah, I am very excited to graduate. I'm graduating in the spring, um, but all these conversations are really giving me the energy to really like go do go out and do this work. I would say if you're an undergrad or graduate student or whoever you are listening to this, like you can do student affairs work. Anyone can do this work. If you have passion, if you have purpose, you will do an amazing job. And there, there is no doubt in that. Um, one of the things I'm excited for is um, one of my passions is basic needs and helping students meet their basic needs I don't I think it's a lot to ask students to be getting 4.0 GPAs if they can't even fill their stomachs with food so um, one of the initiatives I've been part of is developing a food pantry so I'm I'm looking forward to creating a better institutional response to basic needs and helping students meet them where they're at that's great oh my gosh that's great Jose um just to echo Huda um I think if you are thinking about student affairs, please, please, please explore it. Um, there are so many options. You are not gonna pigeonhole yourself in any particular mm. area because we literally do everything. Um, and I'm just really excited about all of you here, everyone else that might be listening for the future because we definitely are forging a path forward um, for more inclusive campuses and I'm just very excited about what the future holds. That's great. Jose, thank you. Brianna. I'm very excited to see the new wave of professionals um, entering student affairs. Um, I also graduate in the spring, so I will be one of the people entering the field. But um, I just feel like our generation in general has a lot of different perspectives. And we kind of seen that today having our conversation here is everyone's story, like how they got to student affairs. We have a lot of different perspectives to bring into the field and student affairs is changing. It doesn't look the same that it looked like 10 years ago. So I'm very excited to see like how it changed and how we contribute to that change. I love that. Grace. 
Yeah, Brianna, I'll echo that because I was thinking about our info session that we had last night for prospective students joining our program and in the energy and the passion and excitement that they brought to join the field and to join a program that's committed to social justice, I think was really great to see. So yeah, I echo what everyone says. I'm excited to see what the future holds. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going down my list. Okay, Terry, you're next. Uh, I'm so inspired by everyone. My final thought, um, you know, in my work here at Kellogg Community College, I often say to people, I'm here to break generational curses. Um, mm. Generational curses that mm. exist in this institution and outside in the community where I was born. And the idea that we um, are all with this energy and this enthusiasm and the things that I have heard shared today, I have full faith um, that we are on our way to doing that and making real positive impacts in student affairs. Let's go. Um, I often write in my papers that I am student affairs, like a, like a severe internalization. I say we are student affairs and it just excites me. So that's what I have to say. That's what I'm going to call this episode. I love that. That's for We are student affairs. Let's yeah. do it. I love it. Um, Hureb, tell us what your final thoughts are. Um, I am actually very happy to hear from all my um, fellow practitioners and student affairs and gives me hope that there's, you know, there's change that is about to happen in coming years. And definitely I'm graduating next year too in spring. So yeah, and um, very, very excited to step into the field and as, as a full-time professional and yeah, very even more excited to make an impact on students' lives. I love it. Perfect. Peter. I just want to emphasize, I love everyone's responses. That was great. Uh, I would say to advice for those that are interested or like thinking about it and applying for higher, you might as well just apply for it. Um, I think mm -hmm. that student affairs just gives such a wide range of competencies and skills that you definitely couldn't see in just like one field. Um, especially for me, like I was able to go for my internship to the American University of Kuwait and that doesn't show range and it doesn't show like variety within student affairs and higher education. I don't know what will. So definitely go into it, uh, go into it with an open mind. There's so many possibilities um, and you definitely won't be uh, satisfied because there's just going to be so many possibilities that you can definitely get into for sure. I love it. That is absolutely true. And Adrian. Last but not least, Last um, not least. <laughs> echoing off of what everybody said, um, if you're interested in um, higher ed student affairs, I would check out KU, shout out to their faculty, um, shameless plug, shout out to Dr. Zach Vossi and Dr. Amanda Mollett. Um, they're such an amazing group of faculty. And um, I'm super excited about graduating in the spring, as well as maybe possibly presenting at ACPA. So if I get that, come check out my session, um, Latinx Students Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. Oh, exciting. I love that final, final thought. And I will definitely hopefully see you all um, in Chicago. As you all know, I will, I will definitely be there. Um, so before we wrap up today's episode, I just want to express my gratitude. I mean, this episode far exceeded my expectations. I'm so glad you all said yes to joining the conversation today and I could not agree more. The future is extremely bright. And as somebody who's been in the field for a while, um, I love to see it and I'm here for it. And this is why I stay in the field is, is, uh, having the continual enthusiasm for the work that we do and the, and the impact that we make on our campuses. So thank you so much. Um, 
so I want to take just a quick moment to thank Nat Ambrosi, our incredible producer. Uh, Nat, your efforts do not go unnoticed. And we are so grateful for everything that you do to make us look and sound amazing. And of course, none of this would be possible without the support of today's sponsor, Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success and accessibility services, and you can learn more by visiting simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I guess it's not called Twitter anymore, whatever um, it's called. Uh, to each of our listeners, we encourage you to visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. And if you click the sponsors link, you can learn more about sponsorship opportunities as well as the folks who sponsor our channel. Um, while you're there, our archives, uh, we have just passed the three-year mark, and we have over 170 episodes uh, featuring topics across the range of, of areas. So if you are interested in the field of student affairs, hopefully this free professional development resource is um, useful to you. And if you are tuning in today and haven't already subscribed to our weekly newsletter, please take a moment, enter your email on our website, and you'll receive an email every week with the latest episode. Once again, I'm Heather Shea. Thanks to everybody who's watching and listening. Let's make this Careers in Student Affairs Month truly a great one. Thanks, everybody.